0: Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on
1: both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. Welcome to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. We are talking to Kay today, and Kay wrote in about something that I just had to laugh, not at her, but with her, um, (laughs) because I was telling Danae, she feels like my spirit animal. Um, I think we're going to talk a lot about control today uh, and struggling with letting go of control, struggling with letting the pieces fall where they may, struggling with feeling as though how do I word this? Like you have this perspective that it feels like maybe people are not listening to, or maybe necessarily respecting sometimes. And that's Mm. frustrating to watch, to sit back and watch and experience. Um, so what's coming up for you around this right now. Okay. Well, right
2: now, um, I'm dealing with a little bit of uh, of it at work and at home. Um, so at work, Uh, I assist, I'm an assistant um, to a few lawyers and I assist some of them and I have another secretary in the office that assists some of them and we back each other up. And um, I feel like every time, like I'm going on vacation next week and every time I get ready to take time off, she Either calls in the week before or the week after, and there's always some kind of drama. And so I get frustrated because, um, I feel like if things fall through the cracks or if something doesn't get done or, um, because she's not here that I'm going to get blamed. So I, I, then I start worrying about even taking time off. Should I even take time off? Because what if she's not here? Is that true?
1: Can I interrupt you? Is that true? Will you get blamed?
2: (laughs) No. Okay. No. And I have people telling me all the time, like my boss (laughs) telling, yeah, they tell me all the time, like, this will not, this will not be on you, but I feel like, and I don't know exactly where it all comes from. Maybe, you know, a lot of my past of, of making sure if everything doesn't go right, Mm -hmm. it's all going to come on me. It's all going to come down on me and it's going to be all my fault. And, and so I feel like no matter how much I coach her and try to rely on her. um, This always happens. And then I, I, I blame myself. And then I Mm want to take like my laptop and my phone and everything with me on vacation. And my boss is like, no, no, you have to let her Mm -hmm. deal with it. So I want to control everything that goes on in the office. (laughs) because I feel like if I don't, it's not going to be right. And it's going to be all my fault. And then like the same at home um, I have, I've been living with my boyfriend for eight years. And he has a, a 13 year old son mm-hmm. who I feel like my kids are grown. My kids are adults. Uh, I had two boys and they're uh, 23 and 27 now. And I feel like I know what, what, how to help them, how to help him be a better, better father and how to help his son with things and nobody listens. to me, (laughs) So then I go back into that same mindset of, okay, if they don't listen to me and things go bad, I put all the blame on myself. Mm -hmm. Like I should have, I should have helped them more. They, you know, and then I get frustrated. I get really frustrated. And sometimes I react in ways that probably aren't healthy, you know, like lashing out and, and then there's the, the, when things do go South, it's, I told you so, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that creates a whole new other argument.
1: Mm-hmm. So, I and so I, many, I think so it's- So many directions I want to take this in. <laughs> okay. So many directions. Um, okay. So the first thing I want to ask you is, um, and you might not know the answer to this, but I think it's a nugget that's worth starting to ponder. Hmm. Um, what purpose is it serving you to constantly shoulder all the blame and responsibility?
2: I don't think it's serving me any purpose.
1: It is. <laughs>
2: maybe, maybe it is. Otherwise you,
1: yeah, <laughs> otherwise you wouldn't be doing it, right? So like I said, yeah. you might not know the answer to this question right now, tangibly in the moment, but trust me when I tell you it's serving a purpose or you wouldn't be doing it. Mm. Now that purpose could be a lot of different things. It could be, I find my sense of worth and value as a human being. And the one that always fixes all the mistakes and makes sure things always go perfectly right right? It could be um, if I don't do all the things and I'm out of control, I know that I can't tolerate or handle things not being perfect. And so that serves the purpose of like my inability to tolerate loss of control, right? There's a lot of different ways, like the ways to skin a cat, whatever they say, but it's serving a purpose. And so I think Whether we solve that now or that's something you kind of take away and ponder later, we really need to think more about what that purpose is, right? Remember when I talk about in the codependency classes, how I talk about the martyr syndrome Mm. and how Mm. massively common that is for people who struggle with codependency, that serves a real serious purpose, right? A couple things, but one of them being, it gives me a sense of value and identity, Another thing is it's a really good way for me to keep myself separated and only so vulnerable and so intimate with people around me when I either place myself on a one up or a one down level. Right. So I don't want to take up the entire session talking about the purpose of it, but I want you to know that there's a lot of me in there that Mm. I think you should kind of sit with and play around Mm with, um, because there's some dismantling that needs to happen.
2: Yeah. And when you said martyr just now, all I could think about was my mom.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: My mom was a very codependent person and a complete martyr. And I think I learned a lot of it from her, like everything having to be perfect and, and making sure everything is, you know, all lined up. And if it's not, then it's a disaster and it's all my fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I
0: actually want to build on what you said too, V, because I do think that it is important for us to understand the payoff in why we're doing what we're doing. Because if if I'm getting something from this, I am going to continue to do it forever. And I think that sometimes, you know, like V and I will talk a lot about how the shadow side of people pleasing is that it's actually really manipulative, right? The shadow side of over-functioning, that came to my awareness recently and was sort of one of those like moments is overfunctioning is actually a very narcissistic behavior. 100%. It makes me feel seen, important, powerful, all-knowing, and I am doing it to grandize my sense of self. Mm-hmm. Feels like it's about that other person. It's really about me, right? Mm-hmm. And it's really about the fact that I haven't felt seen. And when I'm
2: controlling you, it makes me feel powerful. Mm-hmm that does make sense. Mm
1: -hmm. This is why we talk about, right. The the connection between narcissism and codependency and why there is a lot of overlap, right? We're not talking motivation, intrinsic motivation for the behaviors is different, but the bottom line is that's when we start to seep into the more narcissistic kind of tendencies within codependency is when you have to ask yourself, is this really about them or is this about me? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And once the answer is, it's actually about me, that's when you're kind of swimming in the narcissistic cool. And again, we're not talking motivation. Right. we're not saying you're doing it because, you know, for the same reasons that maybe a narcissist would.
0: No, but in similar to a narcissist, it's not conscious. You're not like, I am doing this to make myself seem more. That's just, but that is the feeling it gives me. Like, I think maybe when you wrote in us, you, you, you said, I I catch myself wanting to say, I told you so. Right. And I laughed
1: (laughs) because I was like, (laughs) that is on the tip of my tongue all the time. (laughs) But there's a little bit of self-grandizing that. It's like, god, right. Like (laughs) I am powerful. I know all. I know better. Right. This is, the same idea as like giving people unsolicited feedback and advice, what I always talk about, right? It's this idea uh, and then getting pissed off when they don't take your feedback or they don't take your advice. This, there's a little bit of this, like, I am, I am all knowing. I am a little bit better. I'm a little bit more knowledgeable. And so when they don't take it, you feel like they're looking you in the face and saying, you don't know shit. It's not what they're doing, but that's what it translates to you as what they're saying right? It's a personal affront on me needing to feel like I know all and like I have purpose and value in this relationship by being the one that you come to that knows all. And if you challenge that in any way, you are directly challenging my self-narrative.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so talk exactly. about
1: personalizing.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I feel like I want to hear like what we said is is a big thing to say. So I yeah. want to hear how that feels to hear that.
2: Yeah. It's in the first instance, it's like when you know, when you said it's like narcissistics, kind of like, what? I know, no. you know, and then you kind of, oh um, mm-hmm. but but it makes sense because it is like. I feel like, Oh, I've been there before I've raised two boys. So I should, you should listen to me and I know everything, but I honestly don't know what the outcome of either one of them not listening to me is like, Mm -hmm. for example, him, you know, the kid brushing his brushing his teeth. I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I've seen it, you know, he's gone to the dentist and he's had cavities and, uh, my boyfriend's had to pay the bill and, and I sat there and I think the first time I think I did say, I told you so. And it was like, and then it creates a whole big other problem. But then honestly, I don't know if they don't listen to me, I don't know what's gonna happen to either one of them. And I've been told by previous therapists, you know, let them fail, mm-hmm. just let them, you know, but, and then it's so hard for me because the, that control like that, I, I can't let them fail they have to listen to me and, and, and and succeed in what I'm saying. And then,
1: yeah. and And I think, Hey, there's something in that too, that where that starts to become a little bit less, um, grandiosity and kind of that narcissistic feeling that starts to become this, um, over caring quality that codependents have, right. Where it's like, I don't want you to feel The pain, the suffering, the consequences of these actions, right? I'm going to try to take that from you. And I'm going to try to, you know, head it off at the pass by stepping in and being controlling and carrying the burden of responsibility. In this example, we'll talk about your teeth, right? Um, Because I know where that goes. Now, two things. Number one, you don't, like you just said, you don't actually know. Where that road leads. I mean, most of us can guess, but there's not a guarantee, right? And also here's the thing: if you continue to swoop in, and I know logically you know this, you continue to swoop in with a 13-year-old and his father, brush your teeth, brush your teeth, brush your teeth, brush your teeth. Even if you do solve the issue right now, fantastic. I guarantee fucking to you, he'll be a 20-year-old dude living on his own that doesn't brush his teeth because he didn't learn that intrinsically. That was put upon him externally we learn shit intrinsically when we do something and it either blows up in our face and we learn from it right or it feels great and we learn from that there's an internal click that happens now here's the thing about a codependent we never had that experience right for most of us that's not how we learned things it was either that experience was taken away from us from our own codependent and narcissistic parents right? Um, We were so busy being in control and being the parent that we never actually got to do that. Like I have to fuck up in order to learn something because we were way too busy running the household, whatever the reason is you didn't get that experience. And so it's really hard to know, not logically know, but like, know that that is how people learn. Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: rather than knowing that, like, no, this is just how he needs to learn that experience. I'm going to try to go in and save and save and save and fix right
2: Exact exactly and I went from you know codependent parents to an alcoholic husband yeah like when I was 18 so it was just
0: same same
1: um, same <laughs> yeah,
2: same
0: yeah and and I would argue to V's point a little bit even when we're in that space of I'm caretaking for you and I'm tempting to be caring, that's still about me that's still about me being needed like needing to be needed mm-hmm. right it, it actually isn't about that other person mm-hmm. and I think that, Like it still circles back to, you know, what you were saying about letting people fail. Um, We control what we don't trust. Mm -hmm. So the message you're sending that person every time you are attempting to control them is you are not trustworthy. Mm -hmm. I don't believe in you. Mm -hmm. And I'm, you know, like whether this is your coworker, whether this is your kids, like whoever it is. Yeah. Like this is me from the... um, the more under-functioning side of the spectrum, the message I always got was you don't believe in me. That's why you're doing this for me because you think I'm incapable.
1: And so then Mm -hmm. what happens? I then think I'm incapable.
0: And so like, I would argue that's not loving. I actually don't think it's loving to reinforce the idea that somebody isn't capable of taking care of themselves, that they're gonna fall on their face unless you're there to catch them. That's not how I wanna be loved.
2: Exactly. And he is an un- under-functioner and I'm an overfunctioner. So that's that perfect sense. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> that's why y'all found each other.
2: <laughs> well, and we we did get in an argument one time because I was just like, I'm tired of caring so much and, and nobody listens to me. And I just feel like, you know, I'm getting like, uh, you know, my, their back turned on me and he goes, stop caring. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know how? To do, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you just not? care and just let people (laughs) fall on their face.
1: I don't think it's not caring, right? Because I think the bottom line is at this point in your life, you are wired to be overly empathic um, to a fault, (laughs) right? I don't think it's about being like, just don't care. But I think for you, it's going to be about learning some tools that are going to help you in the moment, start to sit with that discomfort that comes up and that kind of like gut reaction to jump in and say something or fix something or control something. And if that means that you need to remove yourself physically from the, from the room, right? They're fighting, they're arguing, you know, we're talk, let's talk about your partner and his kid. They're bitching about the teeth and they're getting in whatever. And he's saying, no, and there's this thing and you are feeling that internal, like I'm going to go crazy you remove yourself from the situation because that situation doesn't concern you. Yes. And now you don't have to do that without giving your your boyfriend a heads up. I actually think this is a great way for you and him to connect more deeply on the inner work that you're trying to do because you don't want to necessarily leave him in the cold. You can say to him, here's some things that I'm going to start working on. One of them is when I'm in a situation like this example, and I start to want to control, I start to want to step in with the finger wagging. I told you so. I'm going to remove myself from the situation. I'm gonna leave the room. I want you to know that ahead of time so that you don't all of a sudden just turn around and think I huffed out, because that's not what I'm doing. I'm taking care of me. I'm taking care of me and I'm making sure that this doesn't impact our relationship by me stepping in and over-functioning. So just so you know, moving forward, this is a strategy I'm gonna try. You can give him that heads up, but you need to start playing around with some of those tools in the moment to start alleviating that anxiety from, for yourself without doing the thing that alleviates the anxiety, which is the control. <laughs> yeah. And that's
0: a really important point, V, because yeah. that's the thing about our over-functioning is it's all external focus so that I don't have to focus on me, mm-hmm. so that I don't have to sit with the discomfort in me. If I can control other people, then I don't have to be with what might be there within me if I stop doing that. So I do think that's why it's such an effective strategy to say, "Don't no, worry about yourself, mm-hmm. remove yourself, stop you know, being in the space of other and bring the focus back to self, you
1: know, I would say yeah. same at work, Absolutely. same thing at work. <laughs> if you find yourself kind of getting in that, like strong, uh, like, you know, high, strong, like this is happening. Oh, why does she always do this? You need to remove yourself. Even if it's for five minutes, take a bathroom break, go sit in the bathroom, feel the feelings in your body, Cry the cries, if you need to, of that tension and that stress that's coming out of your face. It's okay. Take some breaths. Notice, by the way, the thought loop that's going on. I always like to say, whenever we get into a habit where we say somebody always does this, never does that, we're in that state of black and white thinking. I would say there's almost always a kernel of like, um, what else could be true? right? I used to have a therapist that would do that to me every time. Even if I was talking about somebody that was perpetually almost always an asshole, if I use the word always, or I use the word never, she would stop me and say, I want you to think of a time where that wasn't the case. And she would make me think of a time. Mm. And so that's another strategy. Like when, especially because I've heard you say the always, she always does this when we're talking about your coworker. I'm not minimizing the times that she has, but sometimes it's an effective strategy to cut that black and white thinking off. challenge yourself and say, okay, when was that not the case? Has there ever been a case where she's actually done something small to help me out? Has there ever been Mm -hmm. a case where I actually could rely on her? Um, maybe it's not as many times as you would have liked, but it's a good way to challenge that kind of thinking.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense.
1: And the other, you know, tool that I just want
0: to offer is thinking about like what my relationship is with my faith, my trust, like some sort of power outside of myself, because a lot of this, like narcissistic tendencies or, you know, ways that I attempt to control are, are God complexes. Like I believe I'm God. I believe I know everything. I believe I'm in control here. Like, okay.
1: <laughs> are you sure?
0: And there's fear um, in that. I mean, it's course. not
1: always from a grandiosity place, right? Or grandiose place. A lot of times it's like, I don't trust that there's something bigger than me. And so if, it, if I don't do it, The world's going to implode. Yeah. Well, and it
2: and it yeah, yeah, and it's not just that. It's not just the fear. There's a couple fears. There's the fear that things aren't going to get done right, or things aren't going to happen right. And then there's the fear of it's going to be all my fault. Like there's Mm -hmm. always that fear that, well, if this goes wrong, they're going to look at me and be like, what happened? You know, I'm both I'm both at work and at home. And I know that's not true Mm -hmm. to an extent, but there's still that fear. And I think it comes from my past relationships that if things don't go perfectly right or something goes wrong, it's going to be my fault. Mm -hmm.
0: And so how do you hold yourself in that space, right? So if this is a historic thing where when something has gone wrong, someone has told me it was all my fault, or I was shamed when I was little for that, right? How do I hold myself with compassion around my humanity that humans aren't supposed to be perfect? Nobody is that's impossible. So what if I just leaned a little bit into the inevitable space? of not, of, I'm not going to be perfect. It's mm-hmm. a given I'm going to yeah. make mistakes. Mm-hmm.
2: And nine times out of 10, it's they don't blame me. <laughs> not, not in this relationship, right. you know? So it's like an irrational fear, but when you're in, when you're in it, in mm-hmm. your head, it's hard to think rationally and it's hard to to say this is not a real fear like this is not the way it's going to go yeah
1: (laughs) right i mean (laughs) the bottom line is when you're in that state of heightened emotion you're not actually thinking rationally you know which is why some of those like very specific kind of tools or techniques can help that it can help like bridge that gap bring that thinking mind back online right? I'm swept up in the non-logical, non-linear, emotional, it's all my fault. I have to control all my triggers, my childhood wounds, like it's just all swirling. And if I can, in a moment, grab something, leave the room, get in my body, right? Leave the room and say, I challenge that thinking, what else can be true? Even if I can grab a glimmer of something like that, it's like gears grinding. Like there is a process of like, it stops it for just that nanosecond where sometimes it's enough for that thinking mind to come back online and you to start to be able to self-soothe a little bit.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And
0: this is just like my belief in the way it works for me and it, you know, take it or chuck it, but sometimes I'm so in the space of rumination and thoughts that I can't get there. And I have yeah. to ask the universe to help me redirect my thinking. I have to ask for help settling myself down. Um, And that means getting still and Mm -hmm. sometimes like praying, whatever works for you. But sometimes the thoughts just feel so big and overwhelming that I can't get there by myself. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. 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 It's hard sometimes, but yeah, taking what you're saying in like leaving the room and taking a few moments, taking a few breaths and just that I think will help a lot.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cha- you challenge those narratives. Right. Like, cause when we're thinking, it's like, we're so like, this is it. This is how it is. This is how, right. Our mind has such a way of being very sure of itself. <laughs> and sometimes it's that small voice. What else could be true? What else could be true? Yeah. What else could be true? You know? Yeah. You know, yeah. or to Janae's point, like it, it's this idea of like the, the whole, like, give it to God thing. Right. It's like, okay, this feels bigger than me. So instead of trying to solve it, I'm going to sit and I'm going to breathe. And mm-hmm. and maybe I'm going to say, I, I need a little bit of help right now yeah. to come. Jesus,
2: well. take the wheel moment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's real.
0: <laughs> but Kay, I also want you to play with playing the tape through a little mm-hmm. bit mm-hmm. on the worst case scenarios, the catastrophes that are happening in your head, right? Like he doesn't brush his teeth and then he goes to the dentist and then, and then what? And then what, right? Because sometimes it's so big in our head because we're not going to the conclusion. Then all of his teeth are gonna fall out. Like what then, right? Like really making yourself actually continue to play the tape through when I wanna stop it, just like,
2: and then the sky is gonna fall. Well, no, the
0: sky probably won't fall. So what will actually happen next? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Right. Well, and also he's the kind of, he's, he's at that age and he's the kind of kid that he will push back on anything I say anyway so it's almost like
0: mm.
2: not even worth saying. It's just let him and what like what Vanessa said. Sometimes people they have to have that that thing that happens that make them go oh and learn it on them mo- on their own. Get that and first root canal
1: and see how. Yeah, right? be and, but here's the thing: <laughs> even if that kid, he's 13. Even if you get a root canal tomorrow, <laughs> he still would never give you the credit. I, you're right. I should have listened to you and brushed my teeth. So get that shit out of your head right now. He's you're 13. That's not that gonna not get happen- it. <laughs> not getting that. Exactly. From him. Hell no. Exactly. Maybe when he's 35 and he's wearing dentures, he'll come back to you and say, you know, I should have listened to you. But right now, when he'll nothing. say it, uh, he'll say it when
0: you don't need it. He'll right. say when you exactly. have completely surrendered the need for him to validate it. That's mm-hmm. really what, That's like, true. the way it happens.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And you're exactly. right. I mean,
1: you know, you did raise two boys. You know how that works. Mm-hmm. The harder you push, the harder they push back. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. again, going back to like, what am I getting from this? I mean, what are you getting from the constant battling? What are you getting from the constant push pull dynamic of this relationship? What do you, you know, you're getting something. Otherwise you wouldn't keep doing it. Hmm. And so there's, there's just, there's some takeaway for you. I think in that to like sit with that, do some journaling around that, like, and ask yourself that question in all these very specific areas in your life.
2: Right. Yeah. That's something I need to work on for sure.
1: And at work it's exposure therapy, girl, you got to back off back up leave your computer at work Uh and let whatever's going to happen happen. Now, here's the thing. If it affects you directly, that conversation becomes a little bit different, but it's still a conversation, not of one, by the way, that becomes a conversation because genuinely I've been there. (laughs) If you've got somebody that you're supposed to be able to rely on and you actually can't, and they've shown, not that you've just had done it in your head, but they've actually shown that you can't. Unfortunately, that becomes a conversation where maybe it is you, them, and one of the bosses do yeah. in a room, right? Yeah. That's a different kind of conversation. But when we're talking about this always never swirl that you've got going on, this is a little bit of exposure therapy. You have to leave the computer at the office and force yourself to just walk away. Yeah. And let the chips fall where they will.
2: And enjoy a vacation without looking at my emails or trying to fix all the problems at work. Yeah.
1: That resentment for you is, is giving you too much pleasure right now. Don't, you don't want to let it go. You're getting high on that supply, girl. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. It's giving that you resentment something. Uh-huh. <laughs> You got to let that lie. Whoop. Yep. Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel you if so much. You can much. see these smiles right now. <laughs> We're all just kind of looking at each other laughing because... This struggle is real. It, it is, is real. Yeah. you know, it we're is. like kind of joking, but when we're in the middle of it and we're caught up in it, it is powerful. It's all and consuming. I, I
0: think it's important what V just said to name that control creeps up on all of us mm-hmm. in the sneakiest ways. And it's like, oh shoot, I'm trying to control somebody else. Look at me. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like, I don't know that this ends. I just, I think it becomes something we learn how to manage when it comes up. It doesn't mm-hmm. go away. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Well, and then there's triggers too. Like you get triggered by things from your past that are happening now that really aren't happening, but in your mind, and then it it's hard to get out of that. But yeah, yeah, it's but you start to develop
1: the tools where you can eventually get out of it. And then tomorrow is another day where something else will probably happen, right? And this is, it's just, that's the dance. It's like one step forward, two back, two steps forward, one step back. And this mm-hmm. is just how, whenever we we know what that kind of core wounding is, like that's the way we work with it. It's, it's a forever dance, um, you know? And it's not to say that to be discouraging. It's just to say like, we need to change the way we look at that stuff and have relationships with that stuff. It's not about fixing or solving or healing from it. It's about, Learning to dance. Yeah. You know, mm.
2: yeah, that's beautiful.
1: Mm. Thanks. I made it up. <laughs> that was beautiful, me. Thanks. Mm. All right. Okay. Well, listen, enjoy your vacation.
0: Leave homework. your computer at home. Move
1: your computer. Go enjoy your vacation. That is your homework. <laughs> I will for sure. Let okay. the sky fall if it needs to. Mm-hmm. Okay. Keep us posted.
2: Oh, we'll try not to hold the sky up.
1: <laughs> you can't anyway, even if you tried. So get over yourself, okay?
0: <laughs> All right, girl. You All take okay. care. All we'll right. You later.
1: Thank you. Who
0: control?
1: Such a lovely topic. So fun <laughs> to roll around in. That word. Oh, <laughs> that I know it well. I know it well. Um. I mean, we all do. Yeah. She's so aware. You know, it's funny when you, when you talk to people that are like, oh, I know I'm, I know what I'm doing <laughs> and, yeah. I can't
0: and
1: I stop. can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's sometimes why we throw in these, like, you're being manipulative. You're being kind of narcissistic. Like those words that like none of us want to think of ourselves that way.
1: Shaking, like shaking a little bit. And they
0: feel a little biting, like, oh, I don't want to be that person. But I mean, they are the deeper truths underneath why we're doing what we're doing. And they can be a little jarring to the system, hopefully in terms of like a wake up call. I know like it's been that for me in terms of people pleasing. Like Mm -hmm. you're actually being a little manipulative right now, you know? Mm
1: -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's so much of my my journey with my codependent shit has been around the realization that I'm I can show up and be a lot more similar to those narcissists that have been in my life mm. than I actually would like to believe. Um, and if I see a higher version of myself, um, I really have to check myself when I'm in those moments. And I can check myself and still be compassionate with myself, yes. right? Um, but I don't know, I, I've been doing a lot of dancing with this idea of like, what's the balance between the shaking you by the shoulders and the compassion, right? And and it's like, I think there has to be room a little bit for both, depending on what we're talking about, obviously. But in a situation like this, it does. It needs to be a little bit of that, like it being a little narcissistic to have that like, oh my God, punch to the gut. And then we can show compassion to like the why and the inner child and the wounding. Um, but there's like a dance between those two energies, you know?
0: Well, it's interesting because, you know, if we circle back to what we were saying to Kay about you know, we, people sort of rise to the expectations that we hold for them. Right. Mm -hmm. And if we hold ourselves in that same way, Mm -hmm. shaking ourselves by the shoulders is actually the loving thing to do. Cause I know you can be bigger than this. I know you can be more accountable to the type of person you want to be in the world. Like, I actually do think that's loving, compassionate Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. the person that we're trying to be
1: and grow into, you know? Mm -hmm. Agreed. Agreed. And, and yeah, I mean, I think especially when you have somebody who's still aware Hmm. That shaking is even more important. It's like, yeah. well, you know what you're fucking doing. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's a little pattern interruption we were playing uh-huh. with with her because, like, she's aware, she knows, but like, how do we get in there and, like,
1: uh, with yeah. this pattern? Because it needs to stop, right? And by the way, this is why I always tell people with therapy, you know, get in there, do the work. When you feel like you've come to a good place and you're and you have a lot of self understanding and you're ready to, like, go out into the world and, like, put the rubber to the road, right? Do it. And don't be afraid to occasionally come back for a quick oil change because Mm -hmm. all of us need that. Sometimes, sometimes we do need to come back and be like, I'm in this pattern. I'm in this pattern to have that person shake us and then send us back out again. You know, there's no shame in that. It's like, we all need that kind of like reminder. Um, And I think that's what can be powerful about having that like relationship with somebody like a therapist or a coach where you can like, Hey, I need a little check. I need a little tune up, you know, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. Be sure to share it with a
0: friend, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.
1: And if you want to connect with us more, find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast.